Well, God bless you, my beloved. God bless you. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you this Friday evening, March 13th, with the first of our weekly installment, The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth of the Gospel. We're coming to you this evening. We know that the nation is and the world is in a fix, if you will, concerning the coronavirus, but we want to let you know that God is still on the throne. He sits high and he looks low and that we pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders, even though we vehemently disagree with some of their actions, attitudes, and policies. But the Bible does command us to pray for those who are in authority. So we come to you this evening with the uh, first of our two weekly installments of the truth of the gospel. We're going to continue tonight in 1 John, the first epistle of John. We uh, stopped at uh, chapter 2, verse 11, this past Sunday. So we're going to pick up at chapter 2 of uh, 1 John. We're going to see if we can go from verses 12 to 20 tonight. And then Sunday, Lord willing, we'll finish 1 John chapter 2. The second chapter is um, about a little bit over twice as long as the first chapter. And that's why I was able to finish the first chapter in one setting. Uh, I finished it last Friday, and then I went into 1 John 2 this past Sunday, as far as the 11th verse, and now I'm picking up at 1 John 2, 12. And Lord willing, I'll go uh, through the 20th verse. I think 1 John 2 has 29 verses, if I'm not mistaken. So then, Lord willing, I'll do the other um, 8 or 9 verses Sunday. And then, Lord willing, we'll do 1 John 3 on Friday the 20th of March. Okay, so we continue to pray for the nation. We continue to pray concerning this coronavirus. Uh, we know that as believers that um, we are to use wisdom, knowledge, and understanding because we're believers does not mean that we're exempt from disease and physical death because we live in a, on a fallen earth and we live in fallen bodies. And, you know, there, there are those who, you know, name it and claim it. And I don't claim this can happen. Anything can happen to me. And we, we just let them go. We love them and we pray for them. That's not, that's not biblical teaching. Biblical teaching teaches that Christians can get sick. Uh, and uh, there are Christians who are ill. There are Christians, no doubt, who have died from the coronavirus already and, and probably will die. Especially the older brothers and sisters in Christ because the older Individuals uh, have more compromised um, immune systems. Uh, this is one reason why we don't see a lot of young people getting this particular strain of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, I'm doing some research right now on the um, the great flu epidemic or pandemic of 1918, and in that pandemic, the eight, the 20 to 40 year olds were pretty much almost exempt from it. So go figure. In that, in the, I'm sorry, in that pandemic, the 20 to 40 year olds were the main ones who were, who were dying. I believe some of that had to do with the soldiers during World War One uh, being transported in closed quarters and being transported around the world. So they were both carrying the disease, and they were spreading the disease. And of course, we didn't have the sanitary uh, and um, medical, biological, pharmaceutical um, knowledge. Uh, know-how that we have now so I'm sure that contributed to it also but during the 1918 flu epidemic which killed 
Uh, one estimate is 50 million people. And some estimates are as high as 100 million people. I believe 20 million in India alone. During that uh, pandemic, uh, uh, the 20 to 40 year olds were the ones who were uh, being taken away from us. So it can vary. And one theory is, one theory about that is that during that pandemic, the older people had already built up an immunity to this particular strain of the flu. So the older people would have been those who were born, let's say, uh, let's say from 1850, since, the, since this pandemic was like 1918, if you were born in 1850, then that would have put you at around 68 when the, uh, when the pandemic uh, began. So people born around 1840, 1850, 1860 in that area, they had, this is one theory, they had built up an immunity to that particular strain of the flu. So that one took out the 20 to 40 year olds where this one that we're dealing with now, but it's called the novel coronavirus because coronavirus is not new, but this particular strain is novel or novel, I guess some people pronounce it or new. So anyway, let's use wisdom, knowledge, and understanding as far as washing hands, etc. And, and of course, a lot of school systems and public events, including sporting events, uh, are closing down to hopefully put a, a cap on the upward uh, trend of the of the uh, of the disease. And so, if we can cap it and then have it re reach its peak and then hopefully hopefully decline, then we'll see what happens there. This country is woefully unprepared for this. Everyone should be able, everyone should be able to be tested free of charge. You shouldn't have to pay to, to be tested for this. It should be free of charge, free of charge. You shouldn't have to go and make a co-payment of 50 or 100 or $35 to be tested for this. It should be free of charge. We have the money. This country has the money to send to, you know, countries whose names we can't even pronounce. We have the money, but we don't have seem to have the leadership and the will. To do this so therefore I mean South Korea is leading the world in, in testing now what does that say about us anyway let's go back to the Word of God to the scriptures first John chapter 2 let's pray and then after we pray we'll spend some time in first John 2 1 through 12 through 20 excuse me and then Lord willing we'll pick up on Sunday with uh, the rest of First John 2. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We just, Lord, pray now for leaders. We pray for this nation. We pray for this world. We know, Lord, that you said in your word that these things were going to happen, that there would be famines and plagues and pestilences and earthquakes in many different places. You said these things would happen, Lord. You said these, you said in the last days that these things would happen, and we know the last days began about two thousand years ago. So we, we, we who are true believers, and we who, who love your word and spend time in your word, Lord, the, these things do not surprise us. But we know there will be an escalation of these things. We know this, Lord. We thank you. You, have, you cannot lie. Your word is so true, so true, so true. No matter what men may say your word is so true we ask lord god that you just move by your holy spirit and just bless bless me to teach this lesson in all fidelity lord and confidence 
Help me to speak the truth of the gospel. Help me to speak the uh, to speak the truth in love, Lord, not in condemnation, but in reconciliation, Lord. Reconciliation of man to you, Lord, for you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to die at Calvary's cruel cross, that we might have a right to the tree of life. Blessed be your name forever. We I pray that you'll bless your people. I pray that as a result of this teaching and preaching. And the result of teaching and preaching all over the world, I pray, Lord God, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested, Lord God. We pray for those leaders, those pastors, Lord, those leaders, those bishops, Lord, those angels of the churches who have to make gut-wrenching decisions about their congregations in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. We pray that you will give them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And we pray that you will sustain the churches of those who love you in sincerity. Lord, those churches that don't love you, that, are, that merely exist for selfish reasons, they're in your hands, Lord God. But we pray for those individuals, those churches, those pastors, those congregations who really love you, Lord. We pray that you will sustain them miraculously, God, as you sustain your children in the wilderness. We pray that you will provide for them, Lord God. Move, Lord God exceedingly abundantly above what any of us could ask or think by jesus christ your holy son we pray amen and amen all right so first john chapter 2 i'm going to read verses 12 through 20 and then we'll go into the lesson i'm going to read from the new king james version it says in first john 2 12 through 20 i write to you little children this is the apostle john the author of first john second john third john the gospel according to St. John, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. Now John is saying this 2,000 years ago. It is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. With a capital A, Antichrist. He says, but even now, many Antichrists have come by which you know that it is the last hour. So he says that a sign that the Antichrist is coming is the fact that there are already many antichrists, lowercase a, in the world. That spirit is already in the world. And by, by the fact that it's in the world, it's also in the church. Little, what's called the apostate, uh, apostate churches. Apostate means those who have departed from the truth of the gospel. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
for if they had been of us, they would know they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. He's talking about apostates who made feast with you and made fellowship with you. But when the rubber meets the road, they John says they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I remember when Jesus was giving his um, On the Bread of Life uh, um, sermon. And as he got into it and got into it and got into it, he began to get to the point where he was calling for a total commitment to, to the truth of the gospel. If you read in John chapter 6, and many of the people who were listening to him, listening to him turned back and walked with him no more. And I find it more than coincidental that the verse that, that discusses that, the verse that discusses that is John 6, 6, and 6. Jesus said, What if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. See, notice right there. Apostates don't believe. They, don't, they, they may pretend, they may hang around that which is holy for a while. They don't really believe. They have, they, 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 they have departed. They have or shall depart. Apostasy, the, the, the root of that word is from the Greek word, is from the Greek preposition apo, which means from, like to depart from. So apostasy means to depart from the true teachings. This is not talking about true Christians who are born again. This is talking about people who never were believers, but they were in the company of believers. They were in the in the presence of believers. They, as Jude said, they feasted with us at our love feast. They took communion with us. They, they claimed to love the Lord, but they don't love the Lord. They are apostates. There, there are apostles and there are apostates. And these are apostates. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto him of my father. Jesus said, if my father has not drawn you, you can't come to me. It's what we call election, which is a subject that I'm not going to get off into right now. But Jesus said, nobody can come to me unless my father draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. John 666, I don't know if that's coincidental, it might not be. From that time, many of his disciples, disciples here means followers, those who have been following and listening to his teaching. Many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. They were apostates. As John said, they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us that it might be revealed, manifested, that they were not of us. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe. You see, that's the difference between an apostate. That's the difference between an, between an apostle and an apostate. Peter said, and we believe. Now, he would go on to stumble momentarily, but 
Peter was a true believer. He's the one who said in Matthew 16, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. When Jesus said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah. Moses, one of the prophets risen from the dead. And then Jesus asked the church, but whom do you say that I am? Peter said, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has now revealed this unto you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say unto you, you are Peter, Petros, you are a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church upon the apostles and the prophets, upon the truth of the gospel, upon that confession you just made, that I am the Christ, the, the son of the living God. Upon that confession of faith, upon that rock, Petros, upon that rock, I will build, Jesus said, my church, glory to the Lamb of God. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Death itself and everything that pertains to the second death will not prevail against my church. We believe, Lord, and are sure. You see, an apostate does not believe that. Apostate, an apostate might say that. An apostate doesn't believe that. We believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the twelve were there, but, but now notice what our Lord Jesus is going to do. Many had already turned back. Now, now he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna separate wheat and chaff again. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? So there was one more apostate left, Judas Iscariot. The other, the other eleven, they didn't know it, but Jesus knew it because he knows all things. Jesus let this man live with him and be in his company for three years. Jesus knew that Judas was an apostate. He spoke, he, spake, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas was an apostate. So when John, going back to John chapter 2, when John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. He's saying if they were really if they were really with us, they would have continued with us in the doctrine, in the in the in the in the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. The Christian faith has non-negotiable doctrines. There are some doctrines that are non-negotiable. The divinity, the deity, the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he's the God man. He's son of man, he's son of God. His 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 bodily um his his literal crucifixion. His bodily resurrection, his his virgin birth, uh, his 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 uh, his uh, his suffering under Pontius Pilate, he literally died on the cross. He literally was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father on the third day. These are non-negotiables. You don't negotiate these things. The blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. These are non-negotiables. And anybody who's trying to negotiate these, these they are apostates. You don't negotiate this. Now, here, I'm not talking about. Uh, uh, um, you know, when to speak in tongues and when not to speak in tongues and, you know, should that woman wear her hair in a bun? And I'm not talking about that. Let other people argue about that. I'm talking about the doctrines, the foundational doctrines of the Christian church. The doctrines that the apostles and prophets and holy men and women died for 2,000 years ago. And going forward, even those who are not mentioned in the Bible, there are many who died, who were burned at the stake, who were, who were burned as heretics. They died believing that Jesus is the Christ, that his blood is the only uh, um, propitiation for our sins. They died for this. 
And anybody who doesn't believe these things are apostates. And John said they went out from us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them, he said none of them, were of us. Then he says in verse 20, and this is where I want to stop as far as what I'm going to read, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Capital H, capital O, meaning the Holy One, meaning the Lord. You have an anointing from the Holy One, he says, and you know all things. That's John 2, 12 through 20. Now let me go through the outline here. All right, here's my outline, and then we'll close, and then we'll, we'll resume again on Sunday. All right, here we go. Outline for First John 2, 12 through 20. I told you this was written by the Apostle John. I've seen dates as early as 85 AD, and I've seen dates as late as around 100 AD. So if we figure John wrote the Revelation around 95 AD during the, uh, the reign of Emperor uh, Domitian, who had banished John to the Isle of Patmos, John said, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, we're figuring that this epistle, the first epistle of John, was written around 85, 90, 95, 98 AD. When we say 95 or 90 AD, what we're doing is we're adding to the years when Jesus died on the cross. It was 29 AD. So then if you add another 60, 65 years to that, that's where you get your 90, 95 AD. So we're talking about about 60, 65 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So John writes this epistle, and uh, he's very direct. The, the Bible, I told you, I, I've told you several times, the Bible is full of absolutes. The Bible it does have gray areas, especially when it comes to culture, but the Bible is full of absolutes. It's like John says, either you're with us or you're not. John says in this same epistle, who's a liar but he who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ? He's Antichrist. Glory to the Lamb of God. John wasn't politically correct. I told you about the survey where over 50% of pastors are reluctant to preach on certain subjects because they don't want to offend members or people. John would not be counted in that, in that uh, group. John says, who is a liar? But he or she who denies that Jesus is the Christ. John said he's Antichrist, meaning he may not be the Antichrist, the Antichrist. But he's got that spirit of Antichrist. Those who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God, those who deny who deny that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son Jesus, then that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that ain't nobody. Excuse my English. Ain't nobody coming to the Father. You ain't coming to the Father, except you come by the Son. That's the gospel. That's not negotiable. It's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. Now, if you want to, you know, discuss what cross Jesus died on, because there were about four or five different types of Roman crosses. If you want to discuss that, you know, we can have that discussion another time. But if you say he didn't die on the cross, because all these different satanic theories out there, that he he's the swoon theory and and Judas died in his place, and he didn't die. Jesus didn't die. He swooned. And then when they put him in the grave, the cool air and the cool, dry air in the grave resuscitated him. That's a bunch of satanic foolishness. He died. The Bible says he died for our sins. And the Bible says God raised him from the dead on the third day. These are non-negotiables. These are non-negotiables. All right, so here we go. 
True believers should be confident that their sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. True believers should be confident that their sins are forgiven. There are, there are many believers, unfortunately, who don't have the confidence that their sins have been forgiven. If you are a believer in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. You've been washed in the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Perhaps a little bit deeper foundation in God's word would, would, would cure that, that doubt. But if you've trusted in Jesus for your eternal salvation, your sins have been forgiven. You couldn't be saved if your sins weren't forgiven. Come, let us reason together, the Lord said many years ago. Though your sins be like scarlet, I'll make them like wool. Though they be red like crimson, uh, I'll make them white as snow. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So John says, I have written to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Let me, let me couple that scripture with Romans 8 and 1. There's therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice he says to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you're still under the cloud of condemnation, John 3 and 36. Those who don't believe, the wrath of God abides on them. You don't want to die with the wrath of God abiding on you because once you die, you cannot make a decision for Jesus on the other side of the grave. Whatever decision you made on this side of the grave, that is the binding decision. There's no purgatory. That's a satanic lie. There's no purgatory. You must make your decision for or against Christ. That's what antichrist means. Antichrist means against Christ or a counterfeit Christ in place of the real Christ. Antichrist can mean either one of those, depending on the situation. As you'll see in the book of Revelation, there's, there's a, a false trinity that will come on, upon the earth one day. The beast, or the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The dragon is Satan. The beast will be the false Christ. That will be the Antichrist with a capital A. And then the uh, false prophet will be the false Holy Spirit. That will, just as the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus... The false prophet of the of those days in the Revelation 13, the false prophet will point to the Antichrist for people to worship him. And the whole world, the Bible says, will wonder after the Antichrist and say, who is able to make war with him? Who is like him? And then that's where you get where people will take the mark of the beast, etc. Once you take the mark of the beast, that's it. That seals your doom. You can't take the mark of the beast and then say, oh, you know, I, I really didn't mean to do that. I really wanted to serve the Lord Jesus. Once you take the mark of the beast, your fate is sealed. It says it says so in the Revelation. It's not because I say so. Because I wouldn't I wouldn't have the arrogance to say, you know, okay, you, you can't get saved now after this. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, once you take the mark of the Antichrist, I don't believe the church will be here, but there will be people here, tribulation saints, and there will be Gentiles and Jews here. And once you take the mark of the beast, you cannot be saved after that. Your 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 fate is sealed. Your fate is sealed. So it's best that we give we give our life to the Lord Jesus now. We don't have to worry about taking the mark of the beast. We give our life to Jesus now, we, and we, 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 we will be raptured with the church when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ, not the dead Baptists, not dead Catholics, not dead Presbyterians. 
not dead Pentecostals, not dead Church of God, Foursquare, Methodists, Episcopalians, full gospel, but dead in Christ, those who've died physically with uh, their, their sins forgiven because of what Jesus accomplished at Calvary's cruel cross. The, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're supposed to comfort one another with, with words such as that. If you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, your sins are forgiven you. True believers should be confident that their sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. Those who are veterans of the most holy faith must serve as the sure foundation of new believers. Listen to what John says. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. So those of us who are older in the faith, we have a responsibility to help stabilize those who are younger in the faith. But those who are younger in the faith must allow us who are older in the faith to serve as a stabilizing force to them. But if those who are younger in the faith and you can't tell them anything and they already know all this, and if you can't tell them anything, then you can't tell them anything. But John says, I've spoken unto you fathers because you uh, have known him who is from the beginning. Now, who is from the beginning? That's a, that, of course, would be Jesus. You've known him who is from the beginning. So those of us who are veterans in the faith, in the most holy faith, faith we must serve as the sure foundation for new believers. Those who are newer to the faith should rejoice because they have, by God's grace, been called out of the darkness of this wicked world into the marvelous light of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have written unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Young men, you were out there in the streets doing this, doing that, doing that, doing this. You were out there. You were wicked. You were participating in all kinds of wickedness, either actively or passively. And the Lord has called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. We should rejoice in that. And young men, I was 22 when I got saved. I'm 63 now. Young men, you should rejoice in the fact that, that God has called you out of darkness because he didn't have to. The Bible says we're saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God didn't have to save you. He could have left you right there in your wickedness, in your filth. He could have. But he says, I have mercy on who I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Anybody who's saved, including yours truly, we're saved by God's grace. God's grace, because we are all depraved sinners until God saves us. Once he saves us, the title of depraved sinner then is taken off of us. We become saints. We become holy ones. We're saints of God. Our salvation has not yet been perfected, but our salvation is assured. But we are saints. We're holy ones of God. We're holy. We are sanctified positionally. Because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we are being sanctified experientially through our daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom we glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Young people, if you've given your life to Jesus, rejoice, because there are many young people who don't know him. And they're just as lost as I was lost, and as you were lost at one time. They're just as lost. They're they. You know, with all these things that the, the devil's throwing a lot. He's throwing a lot at the world. He's throwing a lot. Not not just this virus. Not just this coronavirus. There are a lot of things. I hear now there are 82 gender definitions. We talk about confusion. 82 gender definitions? What about male and female? Now we've got 82 gender definitions. And I'm sure the number will go up um, soon. So the devil is throwing a lot to confuse 
He's, he's trying to confuse the mind. He is confusing the minds of many. So those who are newer to the faith should rejoice because they have, by God's grace, been called out of the darkness. Hallelujah. I was in darkness. You were in darkness. Called out of the darkness of this wicked world into the marvelous light. It's not a light. It's a marvelous light. It's the marvelous light of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself after he forgave the woman taken in adultery, I am the light of the world. Hallelujah. He had just called that woman out of darkness. She had been in the darkness of adultery to the point that the religious hypocrites were using her as a pawn to try to trap Jesus. And Jesus shamed them, and then he forgave the woman by sitting on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is where the blood of the, of the sacrifice was spilled. And Jesus said, I'm, 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 the, I'm the perfect fulfillment of the mercy seat, even though I, he had not literally shed his blood yet. But he, he knew that he would one day, uh, shortly after he met the woman taken in adultery, after the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious critics and, and uh, bigots and hypocrites, uh, critics of Jesus brought her to him. He said, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in that darkness anymore. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they won't be able to use you as a pawn. Imagine religious people trying to use you as a pawn. Imagine that. Jesus said, if you follow me, they won't be able to use you as a pawn anymore. Because you won't be walking and stumbling and bumbling and mumbling in the darkness. But you'll have the light of life. Hallelujah. True believers, though necessarily in the world, are not to fall in love with this wicked world system. The Greek word that's used is the cosmos, is where we get the word the cosmos, cosmetology, etc. And so uh, the apostle says, um, he says, do not love the world. Now he's not saying don't love people, but he's saying don't love this wicked system. Because remember, John was operating under the wickedness of the Roman Empire. And John said, little children, he said, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Again, he's not saying don't love sinners. He's saying don't love the wicked system that has them enslaved. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, John says this is an absolute. This is non-negotiable. If you love the world, you're not born again. You don't have the love of the Father in you. Not if you love the world. Jesus said, you know, you can't serve two masters now. Jesus said, which plantation are you going to live on? You're going to live on my plantation? Which is full of righteousness, justice and holiness, blessings, redemption, salvation, eternal life. You're going to live on my plantation? Or are you going to live on the devil's plantation, which is full of bondage and slavery, misery, eternal death? Jesus said, you can't live on two plantations at the same time. You didn't live on my plantation. I'm talking about good slavery here. See, some slavery is good slavery. And to, and to belong to the Lord, to, to be his slave, to be his doulos, to be his slave. That's why often the, when the apostles would, would write their letters, they would, they would say, Paul, a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't just say he's an apostle. He would say that also, but he would say, Paul, a servant and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, a servant and an apostle, a doulos, a slave, a servant. So it wasn't just apostle, I'm exalted, and, you know, I'm too good to wash your feet and all that. No. He said, I'm also a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his slave. I'm his doulos. He's my master. He's my Lord and master. So you got to make a decision. What, what plantation are you going to live on? I'm on the Lord's plantation, and I'm proud of it. I'm on the Lord's plantation. 
he's not whipping me and he's not raping me and raping you know the women he's not he's not uh, he doesn't have me working from can't see to can't see and i'm on i'm on the lord's plantation i'm on the lord's plantation where there's righteousness justice holiness reconciliation I'm not on the I'm not, I'm not on the devil's plantation. I was at one time until I was 22. I was on the devil's plantation. Simon Legree, that 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 notorious slave driver. I was on Simon Legree's plantation. I was on the devil's plantation. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He saved me. He called me by His own His mercy, His His, his grace. He saved me. Hallelujah. Love not the world or the things that are in the world. If you love the world. The love of the Father is not in you. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Notice he mentions those three things. Go back to Genesis, to the temptation in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says when Satan spoke to Eve, Eve got to thinking, hmm. Now Eve knew what God had said. I'm going to assume that God, had, that Adam had told her. Because she hadn't been created when God, when God first spoke to Adam. Eve had not yet been created out of Adam's side. So let's just assume for the sake of argument that Adam said, look, you know, we, 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 God told us we can eat of every tree of the fruit of, uh, uh, every fruit of the trees in the garden, but the, of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, evil, the Lord told me that we can't eat of it or we're going to die. Now the serpent, though, was more subtle than any beast of the field. Here, here he comes, the serpent, subtle, slithering, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice he came to the woman. Go figure. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you, lest you die. The, the 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 charge given to Adam didn't mention touch it. So why Eve said that? Maybe she just, she just got the instructions mixed up, or maybe she was giving emphasis to that. That if you touch it, you're close enough that you may be tempted to eat it. I'm speculating. I don't know why she said that. The serpent said under woman under the woman, you shall not surely die. See that he, this is Satan casting doubt on the veracity of God's word. This is the first case of 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 apostasy. Casting doubt on what God said. No, God didn't. No, God didn't say that. You, you hear people say that today. No, even in churches, even people who say they, they're Christians. No, God didn't really say that. No, he didn't really say that. No, the Bible has been corrupted by the white man and this and that, this, that, and the third. No, God didn't say that. No, you shall not surely die. He lied. Satan is a liar. Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, see, Satan's running the okie doke on Eve. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. What did it say? That's, that's my other Bible. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, let me go back to what I was saying. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that would be the lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes, that would be the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, that would be the pride of life. 
she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he ate. So Adam sinned willfully, but Eve was deceived. But either way, I believe that John is making an allusion here, because he knew about the story of Adam and Eve being a good Jew, even though there's no record that John was a biblical scholar like Paul, Saul. But he, all, all Jews, don't do that, you're going to tear it. All Jews knew their, the, the basic Old Testament theology. And so Paul said, so John said, Oh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God, John says, abides forever. So here the scriptures, when the, when the scripture says, Don't love the world, it's not saying the literal earth, the, the sphere, the, the, the marble that we call the earth. It's saying, do not love the wicked systems that currently control the earth and will control the earth until the Lord, in his fullness of time, changes things. Because the Lord will one day change things. The Bible says the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, etc. And the Lord will bring in a new heaven and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. But until then, the Bible says, John said it here in this, in this epistle, he said the whole world lies in the grip of the wicked one, Satan. Satan was defeated at the cross, but his total defeat has not yet been manifested. It's like I always give the analogy. A team might be winning 50 to nothing in a football game, but the football game still has to be played. It has to be played out to its end. A pro football game is going to be 60 minutes. So one team might be beating another team 50 to 2 or 50 to 3 or 50 to nothing. But they don't cancel the game. The game still has to be played. Well, Jesus defeated Jesus defeated Satan at Calvary's cruel cross. But history, the, the history that God determines will be played out, still has to be played out. All right, let me go to the next point here. Okay. Only those who do the will of God and God in Christ knows who they are will abide forever. Because John said those who are in love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, John said they're not going to abide forever. But those who do, do those who do the will of God will abide forever. Let, let me read a scripture to you that I read earlier today, which ties into what I'm talking about. I read the first psalm. The first psalm says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You hear that? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Hear that? That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. You hear that? And now David in the Psalms is doing the same thing that John does in his epistle. He separates the righteous from the unrighteous, the good from the evil, the saved from the unsaved, those in covenant with God and those not in covenant with God. David says, now, but the ungodly are not so. No, no. Let me go back to verse um, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Somebody who loves God is going to love his word. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's a fruitful a tree. A tree by rivers of water is going to be fruitful. Notice the water is not stagnant. It's rivers of water. So we're not talking about stagnant water here. 
We're talking about rivers of water. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Then David turns the table here. He says the ungodly are not so. That's what John is saying in his epistle. Those who are in love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those who refuse to repent and follow Jesus whithersoever he goeth, they will not abide forever. David is going to use almost the exact same um, uh, uh, terminology here. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Be careful, don't 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 knock, knock don't, don't don't move that. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. It doesn't mean they won't be judged. It's saying they won't stand. They won't be able to stand, as it says at the end of the sixth chapter of Revelation. The hour of the Lord's judgment is coming. Who shall be able to stand? That's what he means here. He's not saying the ungodly won't be judged. Yes, they will be judged. But the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, listen, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So, so David and John are doing the same thing. They're speaking under the unction of the Holy Spirit. This is righteous. This is not righteous. This is acceptable to God. This is not acceptable to God. These are apostles. These are apostates. See that? Apostles means sent ones. These are these people were sent by God. These apostates. John said, "They we don't know them. They 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 showed up for a while, but then when the rubber met the road, John said they're apostates." I told you the the root of that Greek word is from uh, apo apo. They they left the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You hear that? It, it, what John is saying and what David said in the first psalm, they're, they're, like, they're, they're like, you know, two peas in a pod. All right, let me do the next point here. Now, here he, now he's going to start talking about the Antichrist. This is one of my favorite subjects. If you go to verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. Little children, he's speaking to those under his spiritual authority. John was an apostle, a superintending apostle here. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. And he uses Antich he's talking about the Antichrist here. The Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. Even now. Even now. You're not feeling well? You feeling okay? Why don't you go lay down? Because I can tell you're not feeling well. Go lay down. Go lay down in me my bed. Because I can tell that you're not feeling well. Why don't you take your shirt off and go lay down, okay? Okay. Yeah, go ahead and lay down. Make sure you use the bathroom before you go fall asleep, okay? okay? Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the, the Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming. John didn't know when. Paul didn't know when. Right? They didn't know when. Jesus didn't tell them when. It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. The, the, the Lord said in Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be martyrs, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and other most parts of the world. John said the Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists, many little, here's lowercase a, many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. So we know we're in the last hours. 
not literal 60 minutes, but we, we know we're in the last days because there are many antichrists, the spirit of antichrist. And John said this 2,000 years ago. So if it was true 2,000 years ago, it's got to be even truer in 2020. The spirit of antichrist is in the world, but it's also in the church. Denying who Jesus is. Denying what Jesus has done for us. Denying his priestly office. Denying that he's prophet, priest, king. Denying the reality of his bodily crucifixion and bodily resurrection. Denying the necessity of sanctification. What we call antinomianism. Those who believe that that we're no longer that we're no longer any kind of under any kind of moral restriction from God. You know, you got a man saying he can be married to another man, and that he is just as much a believer as the Apostle Paul or you or me. See that denying the cardinal doctrines of the Bible, not being able to base it on Scripture, but having to base it on my faith tradition. Your faith tradition. Show me in the Scriptures where God says it's okay for a man to be married to another man. It's not in there. It's not in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. It's not in there. So these apostates, they feast with us. They're in the church, and they're fellowshipping with us. But John says they're phonies. It's, it's like that show that's on TV now where somebody's singing and there's a mask on them, and you don't know who it is until they take off the mask. They're phonies. They're, 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 they've, they've got a mask of respectability and sanctification on. But John says God is, God is pulling the mask off, off all this foolishness. Yes. So John says there are many antichrists by which we know it is the last hour. It is the last hour. We know this. John said 2,000 years ago. We know it's the last hour because there are men. But even then, this is, this is barely... Not even a hundred years after the resurrection of Jesus, even then the churches were being infested by the termites of apostasy. The termites of apostasy being infested by these false teachers who denied the reality that God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. John said, it's the last hour, my beloved, be, be aware. Be aware. Peter said the same thing. Be, be aware of false prophets and false teachers. Jude said the same thing. Be aware. Be aware. Be aware. Jesus said the same thing in the Revelation when he spoke to the churches. He said, you allow that woman Jezebel, that prostitute, that whore, you allow her to seduce my servants and to, and to, and to seduce them into eating things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. And Jesus said, I gave her space to repent, but she repented not. Jesus said, she must not know who she's dealing with. I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her. And, and here he may not have been talking about literal adultery. He may have been talking about idolatry. He may have been talking about adultery in the sense of departing from the truth of the gospel, departing from his ways. Here Jezebel was in the church and Jesus said to the church, Thyatira, he said, you have a lot to be commended for, but I've got something against you. You allow that woman who calls herself a prophetess. You hear that? He didn't say you allow that prophetess. For had she been a true prophetess, Jesus wouldn't have said you allow that woman who calls herself. See, she had exalted herself with a title. And I'm sure she had an entourage. 
And I'm sure she had, you know, 12 armor bearers. She called herself, She called herself a prophetess, but she didn't speak by the spirit of prophecy. For the spirit of prophecy, Paul said, no man speaking by the spirit of God will call Jesus a curse. Nobody speaking by the spirit of God is going to lead people away from the Lord. They're going to lead people to the Lord, glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. She calls herself a prophetess, but she's Jezebel. He, he, Jesus makes an allusion back to Jezebel in the Old Testament who was married to the weak King Ahab. And because he was a weak man, he married this idol worshiper, even her name, Jezebel, daughter of Eph Baal. So, 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 so by the fact that Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, married her, he was unequally yoked and allowed because he married her, she brought that Baal worship. She was a Sidonian. She wasn't even a Jew. She brought that Baal worship into Israel. Now, Israel, Israel had been involved in idolatry before. We know that when they came out of Egypt, they started yearning for but for, for the things of Egypt that they had gotten used to for 400 years. And when Moses went on a sabbatical, they, they talked Aaron into making one of those Egyptian gods. He made a golden calf. And so Israel had been dealing with idolatry before. But unless my facts are wrong, and if I'm wrong, I, I stand corrected. It was Jezebel who, in, who, in, who, in, who introduced Baal worship, meaning uh, um, um, worship from a completely different entity into Israel. And if she's not the first one to do it, then I stand corrected. Someone correct me, please. I'll look it up when I get a chance. But she brought that Jezebel, daughter of Eth Baal. She, she, she brought that Baal worship in. And the Lord, he eventually had one of his uh, soldiers to take her out. You see that? They were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. Uh, John said, even now, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. Therefore, John said, we know it's the last hour. We know it's the last hour. The spirit of Antichrist. Now, I want to piggyback on that. I want to piggyback on that. I want to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Verse 20, and that's where I'll stop. But you have an anointing, as far as, the, as far as reading the scriptures, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Although the Antichrist has not yet appeared, see Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the spirit of the Antichrist, against or another instead of Jesus Christ, is already here and has indeed infested the New Testament church. Now let me read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we'll close. Paul said, because there were people lying on Paul, saying that they had written a letter and, and that it was, and uh, they, they were writing letters and saying that, and putting Paul's name on. Paul said, I didn't write that letter. Y'all crazy. I didn't write that letter. They lying. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which is going to tie into this first John passage. Then I'll close that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit, as in a lying spirit, or a, message, or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, spoken of plentifully in the Old Testament. 
He said, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy, there's that word, apostasy, the falling away from the fundamental truths of the gospel. Paul said, the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. It wouldn't make any sense for the day of the Lord to come before the apostasy comes. Because it is the apostasy, among other things, that ushers in the day of the Lord. You see that? You're not going to have day of the Lord and then apostasy. You have apostasy falling away from the fundamental truths of the gospel, then the day of the Lord. So here's, here's the way it works. Apostasy, which is going on even now, apostasy will increase and increase and increase more and more and more and more. You'll have apostasy and then at some point you'll have the rapture of the church which is where the true believers, Jew and Gentile, mostly Gentile, would be taken out of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. And then once the church is taken out of the um, earth, the, this apostasy will increase and increase. The only, thing left on, 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 the only thing left on the earth will be the whore church, the apostate church. So once the true church, the true believers are taken out of the earth, the apostasy will increase and increase and increase. And then at some point, we don't know when, just because the Lord takes the church out of the earth, it doesn't mean that the tribulation will start, you know, the next day. It could be years. It could be 50 years after the rapture. It could be 10 years, 10 months, 3 years, 100 years. We don't know. For the Lord has not told us, so we don't know. If he doesn't tell us, we don't know. But sometime after the church is taken out of the earth, for those of us who believe in what's called the pre-tribulation, uh, rapture of the church. Sometime after the Lord, after the church is taken out of the earth, the uh, the uh, Jacob's trouble will begin. The seven years of tribulation, and this is where you have the man of sin. Paul Paul calls him the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. Right? He says, "Let no one deceive you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's going to be revealed. He'll be revealed. Six six six. The people will know." When he's revealed, they'll understand what 666 is. See, we don't understand it. What, what, what is that? 666, what is that? You know, oh, is this this? Is the Hebrew, you know, David, you know, is it, it is, you know, is it Ronald Wilson Reagan, as my mother said? You know, six letters, six letters, six letters. Is it Caesar, Kaiser, Hitler? We don't know. But he would be revealed. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, the son of perdition, the King James says. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Now, God tolerates a lot of stuff. But here, the Antichrist is going to sit in the very... Now, in order for him to sit in the temple of God, there has to be a temple of God. What we call the tribulation temple. There have been two temples already, two Jewish temples. The first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. In the Babylonians around 586 BC. The second temple, which was built after Solomon's temple, that's the one that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The second temple was not as elaborate, but that was destroyed. That was built under Zerubbabel and uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, etc. The people came out of the exile and the Lord touched uh, King Cyrus's heart and the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland and build the second temple. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Titus and the Roman legions. That's the one where Jesus said, not one stone upon another would be left standing. That he, he, he prophesied in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. 
So that was the second temple that was destroyed by Titus and the Roman legions. Not only was the temple destroyed, the genealogies, the Jewish genealogies were destroyed. The Jewish genealogies. Because to, in claim, to claim your inheritance, you had to be able to prove your genealogy. And the genealogies were kept in the temple. And the temple was destroyed. 